Right. I want you to notice what it says in verse 15. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And this is a subject that uh, in the last week I've been thinking about a lot. I've spent a lot of time talking to different people uh, about this very subject, you know, because as, you know, as you know, we lost one of our members to death. But at the same time, too, when we had our service here this week, uh, it was not a sad, mournful type thing. There was sorrow. There was tears that were shed. But it was a sorrow not like the world, though. It's a sor- it was a sorrow with hope. And I wanted to talk about this today because I do think this is something we need to remind ourselves of. You know, as a pastor, uh, I've been in that situation many times where I've been visiting people at their deathbeds. And, uh, and I've been there when they're surrounded by saved family. And I've been there when they're surrounded by lost family, too. And there's definitely a difference. I remember when we went and uh, so I saw my grandpa for the last time. And when we saw him, it was it was it was such an interesting time because of the fact that I knew it was probably the last time I was going to see him on this earth. And but at the same time, he was so ready to go. And, and you know, we were ready to let him go because, you know, he was suffering he and uh you know he was pretty old and we were just thankful for all the years that god had gave him to us and we were just sad for ourselves uh that we were going to miss him and uh and so when he went it was it's it's the way that i want to go and uh and it is in the in the, the bible says precious in the sight of the lord is the death of his saints and for the world death is the absolute worst thing that they can even think of that can happen but for a believer we understand that we're not done yet. And this is something that even the psalmist understood. And this is a great verse too to prove that people went to heaven when they died in the Old Testament if they were saved. Because how, why would it be precious in the sight of the Lord when a saint dies if they're still not with him? If they still have to go to a holding tank down in hell waiting for Jesus to come? No, it was precious because God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead but of the living. So we, we get this, and let me tell you, while it's something that we all can't fully comprehend, and none of us in here can fully explain all that goes on after one dies, because of the simple fact we've not experienced it, and, and you know, and let's just face it, um, you know, I can wait to learn the rest of the details. You know, I'm not in any hurry to get a full uh, taste of this, of this thing. But it is a good question. Many people have talked about this for years, uh, and we most time they do it when they know they don't have much time left. And so, for the saved, we know we don't need to fear this. Okay, we don't need to fear what comes next. But you know, it, you can't help but be a little curious. And it's not wrong for us to take a look in the Bible and see if we can't just get a little glimpse and find out some details of what's going to happen. After we die. And so, uh, you know, and for, and for example, too, because we do, we talk about heaven a lot. We sing about heaven a lot. I mean, and how many of you before you've had that experience where you got to go visit someplace that you've always wanted to visit? You know, have you ever had that where just someplace you've, you've always dreamed of going? You've seen pictures of it even, too. And, you know, and the, one of the things I've learned is the more I know about a place that I'm going to go visit, the more excited I am when I get there. In fact, the first time I went to Israel, I didn't know hardly anything about where I was going, except for like the garden tomb. And I was really excited about that was probably the most exciting event for me. But then like this last time I went back, I've even though I've been to some of these places before, 
now that I know so much more about them, I've studied things about them, I've learned about them, I was even more excited this last time. And the thing, when it comes to heaven, you know, it's going to just blow away any of those experiences. Not even just because it's such a better place and it's so much more magnificent, but because this is a place that we talk about, we've longed for, we think about. And I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that kind of thing. And so whatever experience you've ever had that was great, you know, this is going to be so much better. So the first thing we need to understand, though, just to kind of help us put some of this in our mind is, you know, what is death? You know, what is, you know, actual death? Because I hear all the time when I go soul winning with out soul winning, I hear about all these people that know they're saved because they died and God saved them. Anybody ever talked to those people before? And it's just like, you know, you didn't really die, okay? You, you, you didn't really die. And even, even if you did, all right, let's just give it to them. Say, okay, clinically you were dead. Clinically you flatlined. Okay, fine. And, and, and you know what? Let's give it to you that God saved you from that physical death. Still doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Okay? Still doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You know, maybe God was merciful and he allowed the doctors to get there and to spare you. Or he, he allowed somebody to come along and give you CPR and bring you back. So you could get an opportunity to be saved. And because if you do not believe on Christ, you're still not going to go to heaven. And a lot of people have those stories. And you know what I always like to remind them of is that every single person Jesus ever raised from the dead died again later. Because the most important thing, it's not physical, you know, death or the, being raised physically, but it's the spiritual. That's the most important. But Genesis 25 verse 8 it, talking about Abraham, it says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered unto his people. And so we see that Bible, it uses the term giving up the ghost. In Mark fifteen thirty-seven, this is when Jesus was on the cross. It says, And he cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the truth is, every human being, one thing that separates us from the animals is we do. We have a, an eternal soul that you could say is inside of us. You, and it is. It's a part of us. It's who we are as an individual. Okay? And we are more than just the flesh and blood that you see. And one of these days, this body that we have that is corruptible, it is going to give out eventually. It's going to just get old and weary and fall apart and get sick. And it's going to die of something. Or, you know, we might even have some kind of accident where we have we go through so much pain that our body is not capable of hanging on to the life that is in it, to the spirit that it's in it, to that ghost that is that is in it. And once that happens, our body is going to give up the ghost. And that's when a person really dies is when they give up the ghost. Now, none of the doctor's machines that they have can you know show that because it is it's a spiritual thing. But it is a very real thing. And, you know, and I've read books. I've heard a lot of testimonies of you know, the out-of-body experiences, people thinking they got a glimpse of something. And you know what? I don't discount all those stories. I'm, I'm sure some of them are fake. I'm sure they are. But I think there's enough of them out there. And I think that, I think that heaven is real enough. I think hell is real enough. I think the soul is real enough. I think angels are real enough. That you, know, you can't just discount that stuff. I, I think Paul had something similar happen to him that he writes about, where he's talking about whether in the body or out of the body, God knows. He didn't understand what was going on. 
Because we, we can't completely fathom how all this kind of thing is going to work. But eventually, our body is going to give up the ghost. In Philippians 1.23, says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So Paul, he's saying, let's, he's, he said, I want to go. Okay, Paul, the man Paul, who he was, you know, how he thought in his mind, he wanted to go and be with the Lord. He was in a difficult time where he was facing death when he wrote this letter here. And in Paul's mind, he's like, you know what? If it's time for me to go, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm, re- I'm ready to leave this place. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. But Paul said, but you know what? Right now, it's more needful that I abide in my flesh. He's like, you know what? I need to stay here. And, and you know, right now, I don't have the ability. I don't have the ability to go anywhere without this flesh. Okay. And if you come to me after church and you tell me, you know how to do astral projection or something like that, we're going to throw you out of the church because you're probably involved in witchcraft or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, and he said, you believe that stuff's real. I don't know. I wouldn't mess with it. And I would, if, if there's any reality to it, I definitely think it's of the devil. And, uh, and it, Christians should stay away from that kind of thing. But either, either way, I can't go anywhere without this flesh. And so in the, in, in the meantime, too, you know, that's one of the reasons we want to take care of this temple that we have. We want to take care of this body. I want to be able to do whatever God needs me to do. You know, as long as God needs me, as long as this world needs me, I need to remain here in my flesh doing something for God. But one of these days... You know, this flesh is going to give out, and my, but me, who I am, I'm going to keep going. And so understand, you know, Beulah this week, you know, last week, she went somewhere else. You know, what we knew, who we knew, what we saw, you know, was flesh. But there was someone that was in that flesh who is still around. While what's left of her flesh is it's, it's in a cemetery, who she is is still out there, is still living, is still thinking, And we know that she is in heaven with the Lord and where she is today, her, where her presence is today is just as real as where we are today and where our presence is today. And, and it's where we're going to go one of these days if we're saved. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with just getting curious about that kind of thing. There's nothing wrong with looking at what the Bible has to say. And the apostle Paul, he understood enough about it. And Paul, he went through a lot of junk on this world. And Paul's just like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. I have a desire to depart. And Paul, if you read the letter, you know, he was pretty sure and he was pretty convinced that God was going to deliver him during that time, that God wasn't done using him on this earth. And so he was going to keep on suffering on this earth. He was going to keep on going through the trials and afflictions on this earth. And the Apostle Paul did not care because the Apostle Paul was not interested in getting things of this, of this world. And most pe- people today, most Christians today, they want to get away from God. They want to backslide on God when God allows their flesh to go through all kinds of junk. But the truth is, we should be more heavenly minded. We should be more minded about the fact that we are going to spend an eternity in heaven. And not only that, we're going to spend another thousand years on this earth. So, you know, we really shouldn't get too bent out of shape if some things go south for us in our flesh here on this earth. If God makes us go through some trials and afflictions, if God makes us deal with some kind of poverty that we don't want to deal with, if we have some kind of loss, you know, we should, that is no excuse for us to give up on God because we've got a lot more time left. 
And you know, Beulah was blessed to live 88 years. 88? Was it 88? 88 years. That, you know, that's a long time. And I know she had, you know, she went through some trials in her life. She went through some difficulties. And while there was a finality, you know, on her time on this earth in the flesh, her story's far from done. You know, she still has an eternity left. And so, you know, when you think about that, it's just kind of like, why are we that worried about these trials? Why would we give up on God? Why would we sacrifice the loss of rewards in heaven that are eternal because we're you know, more focused on some temporary thing on this earth? We're more interested in some item, some cash, some vehicle that's going to eventually break down and end up in a junkyard from some house that's eventually going to fall down uh, and you know, fall apart. You know, it's really a meaningless thing to get caught up in. But I do. I think. Uh, but I, I think we need to understand just how real it is, and how when a person dies, they're not done. When they give up that ghost, who they are goes with them, and it goes somewhere. And so, what happens immediately after that happens? Well, turn over to Luke chapter sixteen and verse twenty-two. And I think this is a great passage because here Jesus is giving us an example of something that happens to two different people when they die. We've got a lost man and we have a saved man in this story. And it says in Luke 16, 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, I, don't, I hope I'm not reading into this too much, but what it... What I would say probably happens when a person dies. You know, we understand that hell is something that's beneath us and that heaven is something that's above us. And so Lazarus, when he died, you know what we see? We see angels taking him and carrying him. And, and they bring him to Abraham's bosom where he is comforted by Abraham and where, he is in, where he's embraced when he is united with somebody. That's what happens when a person dies and goes to heaven and so we see, though, that, you know, he's carried by angels. And I've heard a lot of testimony of people, you know, when they were dying, who saw angels, who said they saw loved ones. And I said, I've, I've, I've heard enough of those stories. I'm not going to repeat those stories here, especially if they're not my stories. But, you know, I said, I've, I've been around enough. I've heard from people that I trust enough. And when I look at what the Bible says, I don't really have any reason to doubt what they're telling me. But it's, and, and, you know, we don't see as much of this stuff today, I think, because of the fact that most of the time when people are dying, they got them drugged up on so many things. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're dying, I don't think it's wrong for you to take some medication to ease the suffering. That is not wrong. Okay, now, I'm just going to tell you in my mind and what I want to do and my spirit is willing right now while I'm young and healthy and not in pain. But, you know, if I knew I was dying... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for no drugs when I die because I kind of want to see something. You know, I, now, again, if, I, if I'm in enough pain, I might change my mind and say, just go ahead and give it to me. And if you do, if you ask for it, I don't think you're wrong in doing that. You know, give, give wine to him that is ready to perish, all right? If you want that, you can. But you know what? I'm going to see if I can hold out and maybe see something. And so I don't want something, you know, that might give me hallucinations, you know, like alcohol or something like that, but, which they don't use that anymore. But I, I, I believe it's that real. And I just think it would be kind of cool 
to maybe see something with these eyes. And I, I think it's that real. But I believe when you die, the angels come and they carry your spirit to heaven if you're saved. If you're lost, we don't see the angels carrying the rich man. It just says he died. rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. I think he'd probably fall. You know, I, I think that's probably what happens to them. And then they find themselves in the bottomless pit. And let me tell you too, in the Bible, and I, I, want, I want to spend a few minutes on this just to kind of give you a, a little bit of ammunition on this stuff. But in the Bible, we only see heaven and hell. We don't see limbo and we don't see purgatory. It's just, it's not there. And um, I used to believe in purgatory when they put me in Walmart, when I started working in the freezer out at the distribution center. I'm like, man, it, I just, I felt like it was purgatory. I, I was, I'd work in there in the cold. It would start to mess with my mind. I'd start thinking about all the times in school I didn't study like I should have and all the things that if I would have worked a little harder, I could have been smart enough. I wouldn't have had to get a job like this. And, you know, and it, it would just mess with your mind. And then as soon as you leave there, I'd be in a perfect mood. But I would, boy, I would go into some depression sometimes during the day when I was in that freezer. And so I, was, I, I almost started believing in purgatory. It's just in Sterling, Illinois, uh, you know, out, out at the Walmart Distribution Center. But anyway, purgatory is not real, all right? I, I just call it that. But, and, and if you ever hear me, all right, if you ever hear me uh, telling somebody uh, if they do something good around the church that I'm giving them five years off their time in purgatory, I'm only being funny, okay? We don't believe in purgatory, but I, I've made those jokes before. Um, when I was in Israel, I heard the story. I forgot what century it was when the Crusaders, uh, during the time of the Crusaders, the Pope told them if they would go and conquer back the area where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre was, that any who took part in that, they would get to skip their time in purgatory. And so they went and they, they conquered and they got that Church of the Holy Sepulchre back. So... <laughs> And the sad thing is, you know, I guarantee every one of those guys went to hell, but uh, they didn't go to purgatory. But there is there is no purgatory. Now, I'm going to give you the scriptures because I looked it up. I, w I wanted to see what scriptures they use to teach purgatory. And what we're about to see here is a perfect example of and this is not the only doctrine where people do this kind of thing. But when you go to the Bible already believing something is there, you can make a lot of verses mean whatever you want. But if you go to the Bible to let it show you what's there, you would never come up with purgatory from any of these verses. So here's a few verses. This was on a Catholic website gave, uh, giving you the uh, Bible uh, proofs. And it says in Psalm 66, 12, Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou brought us us into a wealthy place. That's pur proof of purgatory right there. Brought us through the fire and the water. And, you know, and I hope I don't have to expound on these things, but obviously, you know, there's a, that's, this is on earth, going through difficulties, going through battles, going through challenges, and God got them through it. But somehow they got purgatory out of that. You know? And, and I'm, I'm not going to expound on these. I'm going to try to just read them because I'm not preaching a purgatory sermon. But Isaiah 4.4, 4, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment, by the spirit of burning. That's proof of purgatory. No, no. And we shouldn't even have to expound on these things. Micah 7, 9. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. 
He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold His righteousness. I don't know where that's at. I, I'm, I'm missing something here. Malachi 3.3 3. And he shall sit as a refiner, a, fire, a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So right there, where, where is purgatory in that? He's saying he'll, the Messiah is going to purify the sons of Levi so they can offer a sacrifice in righteousness. That's not purgatory. That was what the Messiah was supposed to do. But you all know the story. They rejected Jesus Christ and they killed him. And so... Um, the other one that they have is from Second Maccabees, that book that you Protestants banned from the Bible, that you deleted from the Bible, that you're trying to withhold from people, you Protestants. And I, I'm not going to preach about why Maccabees is not in the Bible and uh, should not be in the Bible, but let's see if it talks about purgatory. It says, All men therefore praise the Lord, uh, the righteous judge who had opened things that were hid, betook themselves unto prayer and besought him that the sin committed might wholly be put out of remembrance. Besides, that noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves from sin, for as much as they saw before their eyes the things that came to pass for the sins of those that were slain. And when he had made a gathering throughout the company to the sum of 2,000 drachmas of silver, he sent it to Jerusalem to offer a sin offering, doing therein very well honestly, in that he was mindful of the resurrection for if he had not hoped that they were slain, should have risen again, it had been superfluous and vain to pray for the dead. And also in that he perceived that there was great favor laid up for those that died godly. It was an holy and good thought whereupon he made reconciliation for the dead that they might be delivered from sin. And so right there, they'll use that as proof. But here's the thing that they want to ignore. First off, that there was no prophet during that time, which is one of the reasons they never included that in the scriptures. There's no voice of the prophet anywhere in there. But if you study that time, if you study Maccabees, Israel was involved in so much idolatry. They were in such great sin. They were not doing anything like God said to do. It, this was a very wicked time in Israel's history. And all this is doing is just telling us what they did. So the fact that they got caught up in some belief or they just... They thought, hey, if we do this, it will accomplish something for them. The Bible doesn't tell us, and even Maccabees doesn't tell us, and it worked. It doesn't tell us that. They just thought, if we go make this offering for the dead, it will help them out in the resurrection. So that is not proof, uh, but that is what they, they do. And this is an interesting one, too, that they put in there. Matthew 5.22 says, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say to thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And that's proof of purgatory. It's just not there. And then they go to verse 25. This one's really funny. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. I'm pretty sure this is talking about an earthly prison. <laughs> it's pretty obvious that's exactly what it's talking about. God, Jesus is talking about their dealings with man and saying, hey, if you don't get things right, he's going to deliver you to the judge. They're going to throw you in prison. You're not going to have to pay the utmost farthing. But, you know, when you're looking for purgatory and you already determined it's there, everything looks like purgatory. It's like people, too, who get overly obsessed with the reprobate doctrine. We get it that reprobates exist, 
But not everything's a reprobate. Not everybody's a reprobate. Not every sin makes you a reprobate. But then that's all people can see. And that's how people are with purgatory. And I'm not even going to... Uh, there's only uh, a few more scriptures. I don't want to take any more time on that. But literally, every one of these scriptures... It does not lay out anything that resembles purgatory. Absolutely not. And every one of these things, too, if I were to take the time to expound on them, especially the ones that might be a little confusing, I mean, you would see, I mean, real proof that these things aren't even close describing what they're talking about. But the Bible is very clear. There's only two places. There's heaven and hell. You're going to one of those two places. And where you're going to go, it depends entirely upon whether or not you have received the gift of eternal life. If you have not received the gift of eternal life, when you die, you are going to go to hell and you are going to stay dead until the resurrection that comes after the millennial kingdom where you are going to stand before a great white throne of judgment. You're going to be judged according to your works and everyone who's judged according to their works is going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So you're going to get two deaths. And if you do not get saved, and that's an important thing to understand. So, first, so when we get to heaven, all right, so I think we've established the fact that once we die, uh, if we're saved, and that's kind of who we're focusing on today, we're going to go to heaven. So what, is, what do we do when we get to heaven? You ever wonder about that? I mean, what, what are we going to do while we're in heaven? And, you know, that, that's a good question, but I do think we know a few things. Uh, and in Acts chapter 7, in verse 54, this is at the death of Stephen. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, Jesus wasn't receiving his body during that time, but he was going to receive his spirit. And it says, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not to this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then the New Testament, especially, it often refers to the death of saved people as them being asleep. And why do they do that? Because when someone is asleep, you know, you're not too worried about it because they're going to wake up. And the truth is, when a saved person dies, you know, you hate to just say they're dead because of the fact that that sounds so permanent. But it's not permanent. It is a temporary thing. And I do want my tombstone. I've said this many times. I want my tombstone to say the temporary resting place of Tommy McMurtry because I don't plan on staying in that grave. And, okay, and obviously I'm not ever going to go to that grave. My flesh will go to that grave, but I'm not even planning on leaving my flesh in that grave. It's going to be reunited one of these days and I'm going to rise again. And we're going to see a scripture on that here in a little bit. But notice though, when Stephen was about to die, notice how he sees Jesus Christ. And I do believe that when we die, I believe one of the first people that we are going to see is Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I don't know exactly how all this is going to play out. I really don't. I do believe the angels are going to carry us. I believe they're going to take us first to Jesus, personally. 
Uh, that's what I believe. That's who Stephen saw there. But we also see in 2 Corinthians, go ahead and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this is not talking about the, the building that I live in, where our family stays. This is talking about our, our flesh, of our earthly house, of this tabernacle where it is all. We have a building of God and house made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. One of these days, we're not going to deal with sin anymore. We're not going to have those temptations. And we're looking for that. We want that. If so, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for what that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. So we don't have that new glorified body yet, but we do have the promise of the new and glorified body. And so what God did, God didn't just get, you know, give us a promise. God said, you know what, as a token of that promise, just like when you uh, get engaged, you're not married right away, but you might, you'll give that woman a token of that promise, an engagement ring. That's traditionally how we do it. But what, we, what, the, what God did is God gave us the token of that promise. He gave us the Holy Ghost that He promised He will not take away from us, that never leaves us, that is always with us. And so that's, that Holy Ghost that we have inside of us, that is, that's like that earnest payment. And so the, because we have the Holy Ghost, we know one of these days we are going to have that new and glorified body. And so that Holy Spirit that tries to keep us from sin and that causes us to be ashamed of sin, understand that that, you know, that shame, that guilt you feel from that sin, one of these days you're going to get clothed with a new tabernacle, one that no longer desires that sinful stuff anymore. One that has the same thoughts and feelings about sin that the Holy Ghost does. And I'm looking forward to that. And there, so it goes on to say, Therefore, because we have the Holy Ghost, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So in here in this passage, first off, we see that uh, when we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. And so I believe that's exactly what's going to happen whenever I, whenever I die, this spirit is going to be taken and I'm going to be in the presence of God. And that's an exciting thought. That's something that all of us ought to think about. We see a reference here too in 2 Corinthians to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, here's what I don't fully understand. And again, these are good things that we should be able to sit, about, sit around, have conversations about. We should, we should be able to speculate on these things. And we should be able to do these things without acting like Baptists too, where we, you know, we argue if somebody has a different thought than us on that. Obviously, none of us have experienced this kind of thing. I think it's good to speculate on these things because at the same time, too, I do believe like here we also see a reference to, um, you know, standing before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And I do think that there's a, res, or a, a judgment that happens after the resurrection when we're reunited with, reunited with our body. So the big question a lot of people have is, so do we get judged right when we die, or is this something that happens after the rapture? Well, here's, here's the big question, all right? And this is something I cannot answer for you. But in the last week since Beulah went to heaven, what has she done in the last week? If she were to fill out a log of her time spent in heaven in the last seven days, what's it been like? Well, are we sure time works the same way in heaven that it does down here? You know, that's, and that's a mystery that you know, I can't solve for you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how all that works. You know, I can imagine that you know, while I believe they are there, you know, and even if they're not working on like the same time frame that we are, um, you know, it's probably only seemed like moments for them. You know, it, it really probably has. And the truth is, you know, and it's not wrong to do this. I think it's good to do this. You know, we all picture our loved ones waiting for us up there in heaven, being reunited with them. But you know what? I'll bet it doesn't even seem like that long of a wait for them. And it probably goes, it probably goes by pretty, pretty quick for them. But e- either way you look at it, there is going to be a day where we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And look what it says in, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set, set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So here's what we need to understand. All those who stand before the judgment seat of Christ will make it into heaven. We're all going to make it into heaven. You know why? Because those who stand before the judgment seat of Christ will not be judged by their works. At the great white throne of judgment, they are judged by their works and they are all cast into hell. At the judgment seat of Christ, we are not judged by our works. We're judged by the works of Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation for our sins. And so understand that when it comes to us standing before a judge and heaven and hell being determined, I am so thankful that they are not going to bring up my works. And if the devil does, I don't know how it's all going to go down, but if the devil gets up there and he just starts actually telling the truth about my life and all the things I've done, thankfully... I have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who isn't going to talk about what I've done. He's going to talk about what he did. And he is going to uh, only point out the fact that I had faith in him. And as a result of that, I'm going to be able to go into heaven. So again, I do think that we ought to do our best for God. I do believe uh, you know, there's, there's rewards that we can get. But it, when it comes to fearing for your soul, you don't have to do that. If you're saved, you don't have to worry about that. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ... I do want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I, do, I would like to get a few rewards. But one thing I'm not going to be worrying about at all is whether or not I'm going to make it into heaven. I will make it to heaven. A lot of my works might get burned up, but I will still go to heaven. That is not something we have to fear. So um, turn over to Matthew 22, 
two. I or you know, turn over to John chapter eleven. I already referenced Matthew twenty three or twenty two. I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna read that passage again. But John chapter eleven. So here's here's the big question too that a lot of people have, and that is, you know, will I know my loved ones? Or will I be able to find my loved ones who have already died? Again, I don't know how everything is going to work in heaven, but again, I don't think we're just going to be like flying around strumming a harp, you know, or anything like that. We're in heaven, and because again, there is some kind of activity going on. I already referenced the fact that Jesus used proof that, um, or, or that the, in the, he talked about the resurrection when they came to him asking about the woman who had all these husbands. Whose husband was she going to be in the resurrection? And remember what Jesus said: "I am." The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. That was something that God, Jesus is referring to that God had said to Moses. And so the thing is, he's like, I am, he, he, referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had been dead for hundreds of years, God said, I am the God of them. You know why? Because they were living. Jesus, when telling the Jews, you guys are about to, you're going to miss out on the kingdom, he talked about how they're going to come from the, the east and the west, and they're going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. So these guys are real. They are out there. They are doing something. Something is going on. And a real resurrection is going to come. And God mentions the individuals. He mentions them being with certain individuals. And then in John chapter 11, verse 25, this is at the, uh, when Lazarus was dead at the funeral of Lazarus. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead... Yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And I'm not going to go through all this passage, but um, a few years back, I went through this whole passage just showing all the different ways that death is used here. And basically what we have going on here, Lazarus is physically dead. And Jesus comes there, and people, they have this attitude, that's too late, because he's already dead. But what did Jesus say? He sleeps. That's what he had told his disciples before. But they didn't get that, so he just had to tell them. He just said Lazarus is dead. But then he gets there, and then you know Martha, she's like, I, I know he'll rise at the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus, his attitude was, listen, life, it's not all about that. what's to come in the future. It's not all about what's in this flesh. And Jesus, to prove what he was saying spiritually, he literally raised Lazarus from the dead and he, did, he told her, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And this is not the promise of us never dying physically. This is just showing that we will always be around. Okay, Tommy McMurtry, who I am, I will always be around. I will always be living. I will always be thinking. Something will always be going on with me. And when I die, I'm just going somewhere else. I'm going to leave this body. I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and by necessity, you all will have to take this house that will not work without the spirit in it. And you're going to have to take it and you're going to have to put it in the ground. And that's fine. You know, that, that's fine. But you know, understand, I'm still out there. I'm still doing something. Things are still going on with me. And I do believe that uh, when I get to heaven, that, you know, I might have to have some angels you know, help point some people out for me because, you know, they're, I think they're probably going to look different. And, you know, people often ask, too, you know, what are we going to look like we're in heaven? And this is also my opinion. I don't know for sure. 
I don't believe like the Ruckmanites that we're going to look exactly like Jesus did and all be three, 33 and a half year old Jewish men with holes in our hands. Do not believe that. Okay? I do not believe that. I believe we will look like we would have looked had we never sinned. That, that, that's just my opinion. I could be dead wrong on that. But I, I do think we'll recognize people. You know, I mean, uh, Lazarus or the rich man saw Abraham. You know, I don't. So, um, you know, again, nothing wrong with speculating, but I do believe these things are that real. So after we've met these people, after we've you know been reunited with Christ and all these things are taking place, you know, what after that? Well, you know, again, after that, we're going to wait for that time when God gives Jesus the okay to come back to this earth. And that's when we're going to be resurrected. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment and a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the death shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And understand, what, what's, one of the reasons we're going to have this resurrection is because when we die, we're not just leaving and we're, and we're going to go to heaven and we're just going to be in heaven forever. No, ladies and gentlemen, we're coming back to this earth. Okay? When I die, I'm not just going to heaven. While I, and while I am going to heaven, I'm still not done on this earth. There is going to be a resurrection. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to be, I'm going to be caught up. I'm going to participate in the rapture one way or the other. Either way, I'm going to be there for the rapture. And then Jesus is going to have to take care of a few things here on this earth through his wrath. And then we are, we're going to come back and we're going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. After that, we're going to have the new heaven and the new earth. Turn to, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Say, what are we going to do during the millennium? I don't know. I mean, I've got a few ideas. That's another area where we can speculate. Here's what I know about the millennium. Jesus Christ is going to be here. Jesus Christ is going to be in charge and he's going to be using us too. And you know what? I'm content to wait until he gets here and get orders from him. And I'm looking forward to having a glorified body. I'm looking forward to finally inheriting the earth. I'm looking, you know, I I mean, I, 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 just this week I had somebody you know, emailing me, mad at me because we're knocking in these apartments, said we weren't supposed to do it, argued them a little bit. They called the cops. The police called and told me, you guys aren't allowed to go to these apartments anymore. Of course, this, this is over in Iowa, so I'm not that worried about it. But he, he's like telling me we're going to get arrested if we go back. Of course, we've already got it done, uh, but we weren't planning on going back anyway. But, you know, I was like getting all these threats, and I was arguing with him. I'm thinking, you know, it's just pathetic we got to put up with this stuff. You know what? I should have got his name. And that one. And, and just, I need to start making a list, you know, of people I'm going to take care of during the millennium. That's probably not the right attitude, but I can, I, you know, I might do that. It's like, you know, I'm going to mark you down in my book. I'm going to mark you down. I'm going to mark you down in my book. And uh, I, I don't know what I'm going to make that guy do uh, when but I'll, I'll dream up something good. But folks, our day's coming. Okay? Our day is coming. We put up with a lot of junk on this earth. We put up with a lot of foolishness. We have a lot of people try to tell us what to do. I mean, I mean, I said, I almost wish some of our politicians would survive through the millennium. You know, I wish Pritzker would make it into the millennium. 
And so I could, I'd, I'd make him wear a mask for a thousand years. <laughs> I, I really would. I'd make him take all the shots, uh, even though, you know, I'd make up new ones. I, I said, say, this doesn't sound very godly. I'm still in my mortal body right now, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'll probably throw my book out once, uh, once the millennium gets started. But in the meantime, I wouldn't mind the book. You know, Dr. Fauci, I'd make, I'd make him wear a bunch of masks. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get... Our day's coming, though. Our, our, day, our day's coming. I don't know how it's going to play out, but Revelation 21, verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. You say, why do we have this thousand years? Well, there are some things that, that still need to be fulfilled. There are some things that God wants to fulfill uh, here on this earth with man. And once he has fulfilled those things, once he has done those things, he's going to put all things under his feet, and he finally is going to put death under his feet. And when he does this, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. And it's this one says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. You want to, you want to know what the Bible is? It's a story about how God created man so he could have fellowship with him on this earth. But man sinned against him. And the entire story of the Bible is showing everything that God had to do to restore that fellowship. And thankfully, we have the end of the story. The end of the story is Jesus Christ is going to come. He is going to win. He's going to finish all things. And after he does, he's going to make a new heaven, a new earth where all the sin, all the unholiness, all the wrong is gone. And then all of a sudden, God himself. God the Father is going to come down and He is going to dwell with us. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. What is that tabernacle? Is it a new tent? It just means a dwelling place. You want to know what God's new... Right now, God inhabits eternity. But one of these days, God's tabernacle, the dwelling place of God Himself is going to be here on this earth. And He will dwell with them and be their God. What's it going to be like when God's living with us? Well, it says, God shall wipe away, all tear, tear, uh, wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's what it's going to be like when God shows up. Now, folks, this is, this is the great thing about this, too. and something we need to understand. The reason God is going to be able to dwell with us is because all sin has been removed. It's going to be because everything has been fulfilled. Righteousness will have come to this earth through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ made all this possible. Adam messed it all up. Adam's the one that messed it all up and we're, we're a part of the mess ourselves. But Jesus Christ, he fixed it, he's fixed it all. He started it you know, back when he died on the cross and rose again. There's still more to do and he's going to come and he's going to finish the work and those former things are going to be passed away. We won't have any more funerals after that. You say, well, how, how sure are we about this? It says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You want to know what we have on this earth that is the most reliable thing that there is? It's the Word of God. 
Isn't it interesting that that's how God said, listen, I've, I've got this plan. I want everybody to know about it. And here's how I want you to let them know. Right. And now, some people would say, well, I don't know if we got, I don't know if God took the time to make sure we have an accurate copy of what he wanted to written down. Folks, look at this plan. Okay, who makes a plan like this? Who writes a story like this and doesn't preserve it? And doesn't make sure that we have it and that we have the details of it? That doesn't even make any sense. What is the final thing he says? He says, right. Why? For these words are true and faithful. Because you can count. That's why I want you to write them down. Because they, they are true and faithful. You can count on them. You can depend on them. You can, you can bet your soul on these things. So he said, write them down. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Notice, and, and let me tell you, notice how he said it is done. It is done. You say, well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, on our timeline, it hasn't happened yet. But the God who said, right, for these words are true and faithful, the God who created this universe, who spoke everything to existence, the God who sent his son to die, who raised him from the dead, the God who did all these things that we have, the God who created life, he said, it is done. So you know what we can do? We can live as though it's already happened. We can live as though it is as, it is as sure to come as things in the past. We can, in fact, we can depend on it more than the things of the past. You can't even trust history these days. But yet, these things are true and faithful. And let me tell you, we really don't have anything to worry about. So why worry about a lot of stuff? It's because you're in the flesh. And what you need to learn how to do is walk in the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're mindful of the things of the Spirit, then the things of the flesh, they're not going to bother you. And say, I don't like the pain and stuff I'm going through. You know what? Just, just, just endure it. It's going to get a whole lot better. It's going to get a whole lot better. Now, earthly speaking, I think some things are going to get a whole lot worse. But in the big scheme of things, it's going to get way, way better than this. And I'm looking forward to that. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for the things that you wrote for us, that you preserved for us. And Lord, help us to um, trust in these things. Help us to find comfort in these things. And Lord, we are so thankful for what you've given us and for the hope uh, that when we die, Lord, we are far from done and we're looking forward to what's coming next. And I pray I'll help everybody get excited about it. In your name we pray. Amen.